you're very welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. I hope you enjoy this extract from one of our all-time classic episodes with Paul Meskel. To hear the full hour-long interview and more deep-dive chats with hundreds of the greatest Irish people ever to have left our shores, along with our other series, such as Irishman in America with Marion McKeown, and lots, lots more, sign up for premium Irishman Abroad over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. It only takes a minute and for less than a fiver a month you'll gain access to everything and you can walk around with a spring in your step knowing that you helped this series survive and grow through these difficult times. Our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie. Jigsaw are a youth mental health charity that works to provide young people back in Ireland with the mental health skills they will need to survive in life. Since the pandemic, they have seen a 400% jump in demand for their one-to-one and group services. With their phone line, their webinars and their new website, Jigsaw.ie are making a huge difference back home across all communities. Why not take two minutes to visit them and see if maybe they can help you or someone in your life, or maybe through a donation, you could help them. That's Jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of an Irishman abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Paul Mescal. It's great to have you on Irishman Abroad, especially kind of the night before. That's when this will go out. <laughs> the night before <laughs> this incredible project hits screens. And I know people will be listening back to this with the benefit of having seen it, I guess, by that time. You must feel, and I've heard you talk about the pressure and strain, the expectation of the readers the images that people form of books that haven't been adapted are really precarious and delicate and often people are very protective of them. How close did what you made match up to the image that you had in your mind when you read the book? Yeah, First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. It it feels lovely and full circle because I I listened to the show loads. So thank Ah, you. But um, you're very welcome. It's kind of something that I've been talking about a lot in kind of the, 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 the press campaign, which has all been kind of via Zoom and Skype, which is has been mad. But um, a lot of the questions are coming from people who are fans of the book. And mm. and with that, and I include myself in that category, I absolutely adore the book. So I think there's a natural pressure that comes with adapting a book that has been so loved, like not only like, 
in Ireland, but kind of globally. And I think I'm probably too close to the project to be um, objective, but I do feel like throughout the process of filming it that there was a real effort to maintain the spirit of the book. And, I, I, and I've seen the 12 episodes back and I definitely feel like we have we haven't done a series based on the book. We have adapted the book for screen. And I do feel like that comes across in it, thankfully. I mean, your uh, life changes dramatically, basically through one visit to a guidance counsellor. I mean, the, all, none of this happens for you without that visit. Am I right in saying that? Yes. It, like, I suppose that was kind of the the, the real gear shift moment. But if I if I went back before that, it was kind of I did a school musical when I was sixteen and kind of fell in love with the idea of, or I fell in love with the immediate kind of adrenaline rush that I got whenever I was on stage because it's just a, it's a terrifying experience and with that comes a huge amount of adrenaline. But I didn't have any other kind of markers in my life, or I didn't know any other actors who were getting paid to be an actor, or that 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 was their job. So you kind of progress through the final two years of school and you're thinking, oh, what can I kind of do that um, allows me to stay playing Gaelic football? Because that was a huge part of my life as well. So how, how do I facilitate both those things? So I was looking at like law and arts and minute, so, something that like I could stay at home, go to college and, and train in the evenings. But ultimately, the closer I got to that kind of dreaded CAO form and the kind of prospect of doing that, I realized that that... I, think and I kind of know now would have made me incredibly unhappy not the football side of it but the just doing something for the sake of it academically I think um would have like like I met a guidance counselor at the tail end of six years she was actually one of my mum's friends because I was having a bit of a panic attack about what what I was going to do and she literally or figuratively you were having a panic attack Oh, uh, figuratively, borderline. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, she came into the house and she just asked me a series of very basic questions. She was like, what do you enjoy doing in school? And the more we kind of delved into it, it was kind of the like texts in English and like Shakespeare's and uh, and the like prescribed texts. And then she's like, what do you like doing in your life? And I was like, football, because that was at the front of my brain. And she was like, mm. oh, so you, you clearly like being on stage. And I, I think it took somebody else to articulate that for me to then go, oh, yeah, that's the first thing that I could really see myself being happy studying at third level. So then there was kind of a frantic um, kind of applying for drama schools, all of which had kind of closed their applications because it was quite late on in, in the year or in, in that kind of process. And I remember emailing Anne Fitzpatrick, who was the kind of head of administrations at the Lear. It's kind of like, uh, I'm really sorry, I know I'm, I'm a couple of days late, but would you be happy to <laughs> accept a submission for me to audition? Like, and they said yes, and I kind of had a week or two weeks to kind of pick two monologues, and that kind of kicked off that process. I mean, Paul, it's mad. Like, it is It is kind of mad yeah, that yeah. <laughs> you, you missed it. You, like, you missed your window. And yeah. only for the charitable uh, nature of Anne, you get your shot. It's. I guess there's something in that for people who, you know, conform to deadlines and go, oh, I've missed it, to know that it is possible to speak totally. to somebody's kindness and for your life to change. But 
There's a few things in there. Uh, first of all, uh, the power of uh, these guidance counselors, like oh man, like it's uh, be, because they're they're you're normally in contact with them at a very formative period of your mm. life where you're quite impressionable. And mm. I was lucky that in that situation, in, in that situation, that I didn't get that opportunity through school. Now there was gu- there was guidance counselors in school, but they're literally having to d- process students in like five ten minute slots and often yes. those, like <laughs> and, and it's, it's totally unfair to them but I, I think I was lucky that my mum knew somebody and we were able to come in and chat for it it, it took an evening like it takes an hour two three hours to process a massive decision that you have to make at mm. the age of 18 where you're not still fully sure of who you are but yet you have to make a decision definitively what you kind of see yourself as as a 22, 23, 24 year old when you finish studying. And uh, I found that kind of five to six months of my life incredibly stressful because you're you're kind of forming your identity on a loose idea of who you are. I can't imagine what it's like for students right now in this uh, pandemic. Yeah. And, And also just like you know, my own experience of it was horrendous as well. And I completely made a decision that was based on sure that'll that's roughly <laughs> in the area of, yeah, yeah. of shit you like and yeah. and and also a load of peripheral extracurricular stuff that that shouldn't have been a factor was a factor and i guess the it's kind of a good jumping off point for our conversation because this window of time that the book focuses on and the series focuses on and the type of person that connell is as a a young Irish lad with an inability to articulate what he's thinking and feeling is something that I'm absolutely fascinated with. And a lot of what I write is about that and about coming out of that. And, you know, for both of us moving abroad into that kind of open landscape of expression and the understanding that it's okay to say what you think, whereas your background was uh, and all of our backgrounds as I- Irish lads was the less you said, the better. <laughs> Men- so true, yeah. <laughs> the mention you you gave there to the first. I don't want to leave this behind this uh, first experience on stage. The Phantom of the Opera, as I understand it. Was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're laughing, I guess, because uh-huh. it it is your first experience of, I guess, like I always believe that stage is love at first sight and that when people ask me, should I be a stand up comedian? I say, get up, go and do it, because if the light comes on inside you, you know, it's the thing for you, because if it doesn't, it's not going to start coming on. No, no, you'll know very, very quickly if it's for you or if it's not, I think. Yeah. And yet you, 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 you suffered with actual knee-knocking staged fright oh. uh, in this. Talk to us about that. So, like, I, I suppose I have to give a, like, massive shout-out to my secondary school in the sense that, like, in transition year, they have a policy in which you can't not audition for it. Like, because I know for a fact, even if... I remember watching the school musicals, and they're kind of a big event in the school calendar. They they bring in tiered seating, and the school hall becomes, like, a theatre of 600, 700 people. Oh, wow. 
and they big production values build build the stage bring in professional lighting and sound designers and um so i remember you'd go to it and watching a school musical it's like it's a real partisan crowd it's like moms and dads and everybody's <laughs> roaring after you finish a song and, and i remember sitting in they did hairspray the year before phantom and i remember sitting in the audience being like holy shit this i can't imagine the buzz that they're all feeling backstage mm, mm. and thankfully like that policy is in place where you have to audition and i remember talking to my dad after hairspray and i was like oh next year i think i'd I'd really like to give that a whack because it looks like great crack. So the auditions came around, and I, 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 what I think I, I sang um, uh, that. Uh, what's the song? The higher you build, the barriers, the taller I become. That was the song I, I sang for the audition, and I had this affliction. Whenever I'd get nervous, I'd be like, right, stand really straight, and I'd like lock out my knees, and then because the shake. Seemed, seemed to be coming from my knees when I locked out my knees the whole body started to vibrate and so you, you get over the kind of that would stop when I'd sing in front of three or four people after time and I kind of thought that I'd gotten over that affliction unfortunately I was a uh, I got a rude awakening because when when you go and, and you try and sing in front of 600 700 people that uh that came back with a vengeance but um yeah, I, I auditioned for it and I ended up kind of I was blissfully ignorant in terms of like, it, it, I was just enthusiastic and wanted to get it and I ended up getting the Phantom and putting like, figuring out how to sing very quickly and um, I remember being petrified but having this feeling when I walked on stage that I, not that I knew that I what I was doing but that I loved what I was doing and mm. that I, I, I went when I was on stage I wasn't thinking about anything else I wasn't thinking about sport I wasn't thinking about friends or family I was thinking about the situation and 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 the characters on stage and I found that I don't know I found that really private and kind of like it's a very sexy thing at 16 to be able to express the things that these characters are feeling because like to to bring it back to the novel slightly like as a 16 year old expressing things that you're feeling isn't like the kind of go-to thing so no. getting to do that on stage i found like incredibly intoxicating and then like coming out and bowing at the end and like hearing like a roar of like the people in your community sh like screaming and roaring as if they're at like a rolling stones concert was like i remember coming home and just being like oh i i adored that petrified every single night but I don't know like that kind of immediate adrenaline rush w was like the only thing that I could equate it to is like winning a big match but those <laughs> winning big matches is few and far between you I kind of got that rush like a hit night after night after night and I, I think I've been kind of chasing that feeling because I've never felt that level of adrenaline since I don't think wow I mean I have a bunch of questions there because mm. I completely know what you're talking about. And that is the light, right? That is yeah. the light coming on and the addictive nature of it. I mean, like that hit is and that chase that you're on to to recapture that mm -hmm. is similar to the sporting thing that like you're trying to get back to that place yeah. of a buzz of achievement, of sense of 
we did it. It was all worth it. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it was worth the pain and the knee knocking and the training and yeah, totally. Yeah, it, 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 it's the reward versus the, the effort that you put into it. I find that's the most satisfying thing about it. Do you wonder if because I've certainly asked myself this question because uh, I similarly was invested in sport in an absurd way, like <laughs> in, in, in a way that like I look back on my diaries at the time, how like kind of deluded uh, I, <laughs> I was and how I, you nearly need to be deluded to do the amount of training and commitment that is involved in playing for a team at a high level, even at underage. I wonder, though, sometimes if knowing what I know now about my life and knowing what you know about your life and the course that you've taken and how well that's worked out. Was I into sport or was I into performance? Was it actually the thing that I loved and the thing that I still love is backstage, side of stage before we go out? I always loved getting ready to run out for games. Yeah, that, that was the bit that I loved. Oh, I <laughs> loved the running out because, I, I, to be honest, I felt I always find that like the day of a match horrend, like horrendous because you're the t- time seems to slow down. But I totally mm. agree that that moment just before you leave the dressing rooms when you line up and your, your captain runs you out, that's the that's the kind of the release of energy. Like you're you start to leave like little bits of yourself in the dressing room or like I, I hate it. a similar thing is like I hate the day of opening night I like I hate the day but once you get to the half hour call suddenly you feel you're getting to performance and I think I, I, I don't associate like performance necessarily just with acting I think performance is about preparing your body and your mind through training through rehearsals Mm. And then when you do all that and you prepare effectively and you prepare and you sacrifice certain things in your life, it leaves you generally, I believe, in, in, in the best in the best position to deliver and to perform. And I think when you feel the sacrifice and you feel the hard work that you put in translate onto the stage or onto a pitch, I just think irregard- like regardless of the result, preferably you want to win and you want to do well, but when you feel those things align, it's an incredibly satisfying experience. It's flow, right? That's what we're getting to is everything you say there is about having known you've done your homework to the level of them blowing the whistle or the curtain going up. It's the most relaxing thing is knowing if I'm doing this right, I'm not thinking I'm, I'm I'm flowing within it. Uh, when yeah. was the first time you, you you felt that outside of the Phantom? I personally, what I like the uh, regiment and kind of structure. So, because I, I knew in terms of like in a footballing capacity, I was a defender and I wasn't the most skill, skillful of footballers. So I knew that for me to succeed, it would require me to be maybe fitter than other people or to kind of develop a kind of mental toughness that I, I was just kind of dogged because I wasn't going to be able to kick points from 65 yards or mm. or dummy solo it was it, it, it was kind of a mental thing so I 
I think I developed that kind of, to to use the word flow from kind of I was quite strict with myself and I enjoy kind of not punishment but I I enjoy when you feel like you're working re- really hard because it eliminates doubt when you get to that point of performance be that on stage or, or on the field and I think for me that's the only time I can ever achieve that kind of that's the only time I can really feel free in anything is when I feel like I have prepared effectively and I, mm. I, I don't I don't think flow is something that just kind of um happens by chance I suppose is what I'm saying and yeah, I think yeah, yeah. That, that is kind of I think the fact that I wasn't the most skillful footballer has, has informed the way that I prepare in terms of acting so yeah tell me this though the uh, your wikipedia says that the the football came to an end through a jaw in- injury is that correct it, it it is correct kind of in a certain in a certain sense so um i got into the lear and they have a policy which is totally right and fair that uh they kind of prohibit contact sport but i um I was playing for the Kildare under 21s at that point and I, I was 18 so I, I was like right look I'll throw myself wholeheartedly into this training but I wasn't ready to kind of just drop football it was too big a part of my life there was too many kind of formative yeah you put too much in at that point yeah, I put yeah. too much in and I was I, I was absolutely in love with the sport and in love with my teammates and, and still am and I couldn't reconcile that because I wasn't even I I literally I wasn't even sure if I was going to be good enough to be an actor so why sacrifice something that I knew that I I was good at and that 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 worked for me so and was going the right direction let's face it that that minor team that you were in that group were were a talented bunch right yeah and they're all playing with the with the senior team now and and they're they're absolute gentlemen and I just I just really enjoyed that and, and would go back in a heartbeat if if I thought the two worlds kind of collided in some sense but so I went, I played under 21 football with Clare and, and, and senior with the club through first and second year of college. And I was like, OK, right, I do. Going into third year, I was like, I am going to um, stop playing for my final year because it was all the nature of third year in drama school. Is you just do productions, you go from production to production to production. And I was like, right, I've given football a huge period of my life. Let's let's really crack into this. And I, we were playing Moorfield in a championship quarter final on the Saturday and I was starting third year on the Monday and uh it was a breaking ball I went to reach for it and I got there and I was uh marking somebody who uh shall remain la- nameless but was a a kind of old county veteran and and uh an excellent footballer but please say a, his name please no, Moorfield is I actually, my team you know I, that I actually I, I can't because uh, he is held in high regard amongst the county and I think um, <laughs> <laughs> basically I, I'm gonna say this I think his legs were a little bit shot and I was a young lad like he had roasted me all day but I was starting to like my legs were um I, I was in good nick and then I went out to catch a breaking ball and like I was properly reaching for the ball, so it was nowhere near my face, and I just got a forearm across the jaw, oh. broke my jaw, and then the the physio ran on and was like, had a look at me, and he was like, okay, yeah, can you open your mouth? And I opened my mouth, and I he was like, oh, yeah, great, great. And I was like, am I good to go? Am I good to go? And he was like, yeah, yeah, you're grand. So I stuck the gum shield back in, and when I bit on the gum shield, I just felt this <laughs> searing pain up oh. the side of my face. But at which point the physio said no I, I think you're all right it's just it's it's a it, it could be a bit tight from the impact 
So I played on till the end of the match and only realized, like, the, the jaw broke when I got the slap. I only realized after if I'd got another knock in it, my jaw would have, like, properly shattered and I would have had to get it wired shut. But I was lucky that it was a clean break and um, that I didn't have to, like, so I just had to kind of rehearse with my mouth kind of shut and I rehearsed for the play. Sorry, we started the play on Monday. And I also had to tell everybody in college that uh, I was working in Maxall at the time and that I got mugged behind the till and got punched <laughs> in the face because I couldn't tell them I was playing football. <laughs> my oh deep, my dark God. secret was that I was playing Ga. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Lord. So you yeah. performed, did you perform the show Kanye style through the wire? <laughs> uh, I was I was actually so lucky that I didn't have to be wired or anything like that. I just had to kind of keep, I had to like just, do it like you were a puppeteer oh but like it you're... healed really quickly it like healed within three weeks but it was two weeks of rehearsal i just had to like talk with my teeth touching each other so hello everybody <laughs> hello everybody How are we? <laughs> uh, you know there's an awful lot in that paul in that it, it really does relate to connell in so many ways that the double life aspect of it in that I know that I know what you're talking about when you say those lads were gents and still are gentlemen, that probably sport gets a bit of a rough ride in the sense that I'd imagine that those lads are very accepting and understanding of your choice in uh, studying drama yeah. and that it wasn't as the stereotype would would confirm the oh, are, are you gay going yeah, doing totally. that? That instead there was probably a fascination with it in, in some ways. That said, yeah. they are two different worlds. Yes. And, you know, you were changing gears from one thing to another. I've heard you describe in another interview that that drama at the Lear is nearly cult-like in that you're <laughs> in these black clothes doing this very weird thing, establishing this bond with a group of people who are essentially the only people that can understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. And then going on and literally donning another costume and having to, as you say, have this mental toughness, which is nearly the, you know, the opposite end of that spectrum. Am I right in saying this? That like you're shutting off those the tenderness and the emotional good stuff that's required to be great on your college course in the evenings to go and train. Yeah. I've actually not thought of it, but I think what I, I, I totally and that's what I was trying to get at, I think, earlier when I said, like, the training was cult like and and that, I think, oddly suits my personality It requires total investment and I think, yeah, I, 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 I never thought of it. I th and I think that's a great point to kind of go from a kind of intellectual kind of and an emotionally kind of interrogate uh, when you're interrogating all those things in college and then running around the place trying to tear people's heads off on a pitch. It's, uh, but I think ultimately the commonality in it is it's about challenging yourself both mentally and physically. And I think sport is as mentally challenging as it is physically. And I think acting is certainly incredibly mentally challenging. And I think it's not that I struggled with, with actually jumping between the two, because I, I think I see more similarities in both sport and acting than I do differences. I think it's all about mental toughness and preparation. And I think 
and that's a totally been coloured by my experience with Gaelic football. So I think ultimately it's a positive thing. And and I think I also encountered football at a time when those cultures of kind of hyper masculinity were were changing, and that mm. I was able to turn around to the lads and say, uh, "Yeah, lads, I'm 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 going to be going to drama school next year." And for that to be a laugh for a second, but then to be like for them to do their homework then and go like, "Oh, geez, that's really good. You got in there." It's, I heard it's really tough to, to like all of the all of those things and mm. and i think maybe 10 years before that that wouldn't be wouldn't have been the case and i think i think you're totally right that a lot of kind of i i find it very difficult to relate to people when they when they talk about toxic masculinity within sport because that's genuinely not my experience of it and that's not remotely me saying that it doesn't exist there it is that's just the beginning to hear almost 60 minutes more of this conversation and hundreds more full-length irish man abroad episodes and shows join us on patreon.com forward slash irish man abroad help support the creation and continuation of this series for years to come. For less than a fiver a month, you'll gain access to all our episodes, shows, live events. And for a limited time only, everyone who signs up in the first two weeks of August will get my brand new stand-up comedy special, Notions 11, shot by my favourite director, Mike Donnelly, in Vicar Street in March 2020. That's hundreds of hours of entertainment, inspiration and laughter for less than the price of one of your fancy coffees over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. I want to say thanks to my ultrasound producer, as always, Brian Connolly, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible. And finally, to our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw. Jigsaw.ie are a youth mental health charity that is changing and saving lives across all communities back in Ireland. Now, more than ever, they could do with your support. Go to Jigsaw.ie to see their great work, get some help with the young people in your life, or maybe... Through a donation, you can help them.